0: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would just give us a, a love for your word, a love for you, a love to, to just seek, seek these deeper things. And I pray that you would just allow this to flow and connect together. I just think of, of all the different things we struggle with everything from, from mental anguish, Lord, grief, physical um, things, Lord, emotional. Lord, all these things, it's part of our humanity. But you've displayed yourself. You've given us your word that shows us who you are and, and who you desire to be in our lives. And, and Lord, I, I know with all my heart that if we were to, to grasp this in a deeper way, Lord, our faith would grow. Lord, our, our, our problems would soon find themselves probably not going away but but bending themselves lord and we'd find ourselves being able to be used in different ways so i just pray for this morning's service i pray that you just lead in our study and we give these things to you in your name amen so just the opening challenge uh, would be behold and in your notes i got our stroked out behold the king because quite often I mean everybody says that Jesus is their king, right? Everybody everybody says they're part of, of that picture, but there's an important element when you say that that Jesus is your king, and that is the submitted, submitted knee. That's your that's your, your bending, that's your obedience, that's your seeking. And, and we're not saying perfection, right? But we are saying that everything in my life I'm seeking to obey Christ. So yes, he can be your king. Yes, as a church, we can say that he is our king. We see him and we're seeking to, to follow him. But there's some things that have to happen first. And I do think it's damaging to say that, that everyone in the room, everyone in the Christian community is living with Jesus as their king, right? Uh, I had an had a interesting conversation this past week where somebody came into me and was just asking to, I, I need to go deeper in my scriptures he said the the respectfully the church that i'm going to right, always leaves things open-ended like i'm okay and this individual said i am not okay i have baggage i have things if he was to come i would be found ashamed Right, and I, I i'm just thinking there that this man knows what he needs to do to come underneath and make jesus his king and i pray that he makes that effort to connect with me this week Right, it'll be an amazing thing. So I thought, behold, the king, don't make this cute this morning as we read. You're accountable to this king. right? This, this, don't, don't make this cute. What is worse for an individual? Not knowing Christ, not knowing your king through Scripture, or not wanting to know? And that would be where the, the, the oh, why am I here? Like, when... <laughs> 11 yet like that would be where what what is worse not knowing him when he comes or not wanting to know him there's going to be accountability for that so just just stepping into our text we looked at this but repetition is a a good key in first chronicles chapter 17 we see the davidic covenant all right why do we need to know this this is what explains that title of who christ is as the son of of God and the picture here is the king that's going to be seated on David's throne right and God says I will be a father to this king and he will be a son he will be a son of God as king as Aaron and and there's a beautiful study even where we find our places in that but then we'd have to be here to at least three o'clock this afternoon so we'll try and stick with one All right, so verse 12 of 1 Chronicles 17. And again, we know that the story, well, David wants to build a temple and God says, no, you're a man of war. You got blood on your hands, but you are going to father a king, a seed. And verse 12 says, he shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. That's a long time, right? That's a lot longer than the, the 70 years. I think it's Isaiah that talks about Um, the reign of a king or the life of a king this throne will be forever and god says i will be his father i hope you circle that because we're going to keep coming back to this i will be this king's father and he shall be my son okay so the son of god title comes with this 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 god is my father as I'm sitting on the throne, right? The Son of God. Now, never remove Christ's deity as He's of God in origin. He's from God. I mean, God sent Him. He's for God as King. But this principle, Son of God, was that Jesus came to be seated on His throne. I will be His Father, and He shall be my Son, and I will not take my mercy away from Him as I took it from Him who was before you, speaking to Saul in this context and I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forever do you think the forever is important there <laughs> right? And for us, with the whole counsel of Scripture, we can look back at that and say, God promised David a king. God promised Israel a king that would sit on the throne forever. And when Jesus comes at the second coming, and he takes his seat for that thousand-year reign and then into the eternal state, we know that that time of, of forever <laughs> begins at that point, with the, the glorified Christ seated on his throne. That's huge. And again, we're back to the Jewish hope, coming Messiah King, Messianic Kingdom. So that title, Son of God, has fully God, but but King, God's King, the Son of God seated on us. We step step into the next point, the Son of Man. And I love that. This was not intentional with that slide. Great. I'm not lazy, but this is working. (laughs) We got the title, Son of Man. And we've been there before. Again, the Jewish hope, Messiah King, Messianic Kingdom. Who brings the Messianic Kingdom? And the Jews knew when they were in Babylonians' captivity, they knew what Daniel had seen. He had saw the Son of Man. Right? Fully God, God's King. And Daniel, I'm sure there, didn't quite realize everything he was seeing, but let's turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. And we understand that after Daniel receives this vision and it's, it's, it's recorded, it's shared throughout the, the people of Israel from that point on, they were looking, anticipating. I mean, God didn't just ask them to blindly follow. He gave them promises. This is the, the same king, as we looked at last week, that died on the cross for me. It's the same king that died on the cross for you that shed his blood on the cross. And when we grasp this again, it solidifies. So Daniel here, um, as much as... Oh, maybe we will. Let's start in verse 9. Okay, the the vision is anticipating here. Um, Daniel's been in captivity for X amount of years. Um, they're, They're in captivity because God is judging them. Uh, for for rebellion for breaking the covenant of fellowship right and i mean god just he warned them he warned them enough enough turn 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 that's it and he judges them i mean nebuchadnezzar comes in and 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 just leads them leads them away daniel receives this vision in verse 9 i will I, i watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated It's fascinating to try and think of how certain people were given the privilege of catching glimpses of God's person. God is spirit. He doesn't doesn't have a physical form, but but these visions help us to explain God's presence, God's glory, what this will look like when we're perfected and can stand in His presence after being glorified. Daniel sees. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. And I, I think that anybody, if we spent any time there, the idea of a throne and, and the Spirit of God sitting on, it I think this is a time of trembling, a time of recognizing there just the, the power and majesty and might and all the different, different attributes of our holy gods its wheels a burning fire a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him a thousand thousands ministered to him 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him the court was seated and the books were opened there's some details there in 11 and 12 about what takes place in the tribulation. But, but I, for this morning, I just want us to grasp what Daniel's seeing of, of the Ancient of Days, Jehovah, and the King. Okay, the Son of Man. It says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. Right? This, this would be the, the deity. This would be, as we trace it through the Gospels, this is the, the, the God-man. This is the, the king. All right? And there's some different events that had taken place here. Right? One like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Right Now, after reading and, and looking through that, we, we see in the importance, and I should go get my whiteboard again, but I'm not going to. Right? That second coming of Christ, and we read in Zechariah 14, that second coming of Christ where Jesus comes and the nations are battling against Jerusalem and it's at the end of the seven-year tribulation, right? and we have that great battle. And we have that great supper of the Lord where the bodies and the birds and God is, and Jesus has dealt with that in that Revelation 19. All that is completed. And the king, is. it's come time for the king to take his place on the earthly throne. So he's coming before the ancient of days. Then to him, who's the him? The son of man son of god right the lamb that was slain but the king is coming he's about to take his place on his earthly throne to reign for a thousand years having having defeated that that foe and he's going to bring in his kingdom then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom what kingdom That kingdom of God, that thousand years that leads into the eternal state. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. What's our purpose today as believers in Christ, as subjects of the king? What's our purpose? To serve him, right? To to love him to be changing, to be conformed to his image as his spirit moves in our lives and to serve him as his subjects, as his disciples. Why is that so important? Because this is like our training ground. Because <laughs> we're going to do this for a thousand years with Christ sitting on his earthly, earthly throne. I don't think that we're just going to start <laughs> at that point. Right? And this is the accountability issue when you, when you start recognizing who he is and our purpose here. Then all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. That would be for us in our glorified state, but also for Israel and the nations. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. Dominion just meaning rule. right? And We read there, a rule with a rod of iron, right? which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. You think Daniel, as he's receiving that vision, was thinking about the Davidic covenant? The king that was going to come, and his kingdom would be for how long? Forever. <clears throat> Daniel knew his scriptures. <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, Daniel there would, would have been just like, oh, the promise, I'm receiving it. You know, and the next question would be, when? When, Lord? When, Lord? Well, that's that anticipation, but he knew that there's an accountability. He knew that the, the Son of God, Son of Man, God's King, God Himself in the flesh, was coming. Wasn't Daniel a good believer? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to think there how that was put. I mean, I, I, we don't read any negative, negative connotations with Daniel, do we? He prayed, he served, he obeyed, right? And part of me really thinks there that he grasped who this king is. He grasped that God would send him, that he would be accountable one day. I think we all would live a little bit differently if we grasped a hold of that because I know personally, and I know it's not about me, but I know my life's changing the more I read and discover that there is more to Jesus what I previously understood right and 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 I and I just say just or merely I haven't found a word for that yet but the more we learn the more we're going to be held accountable to that so we see that all right well we come down to uh let's turn to Luke chapter 22 and these would be the 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 passages for me that are I'm just building a foundation off Luke Luke chapter 22 I think to some of the comments from my Acts junior class, because I would get the groans, right? Or, or we'd be stepping into, you know, Acts chapter 6, but we've got to start in Ezekiel chapter 34, and they'd be like, oh, why do we got to do this? Well, what lays the foundation for the New Testament? It's the Old Testament Scriptures. What did Paul preach from? The Old Testament Scriptures. What did Peter preach from? The Old Testament Scriptures. And, and it took 34 classes, right but now i can't get them on they're texting me questions and it's just coming alive for them and i'm gonna have to hire somebody just to go through my text messages and keep on top of it but that's a, a good problem to have right because it's it's just opening up and they and and as we're approaching and again i wanted to get into john chapter 18 and and the king is in the garden of gethsemane he's on his knees before his father you know, and, and, and he's praying, not that he, he wasn't going to obey, but his humanity. And you see God's king working through this. I never saw that before. Like, he, Jesus knew these scriptures as he's preparing himself for the cross. He knew Isaiah, he, I am the king. That's what he'd been preaching for three years. And yet here he is on his knees, on his face, sweating drops of blood because he knows what's going to come. I've never seen that before. It's God himself in the flesh, God's king, right? preparing to, to do what no, no one else could do. So we have to start somewhere. So Luke chapter 22, and uh, this would be our Easter study after Easter. And we won't get much past verse 1 and 2. So Luke chapter 22 says this, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. Right, And we understand that there's so much imagery here on God's perfect time. I mean, the Passover, we remember the children of Israel in, in Egypt. I mean, we have the 10 plagues and the 10th plague. God gives them instructions to kill the lamb, to take its blood, to, to, to paint the blood over the lintel and the doorpost. And I love, I love how my teens continue to remember that. The idea that that God didn't want to just wrathfully and start heavy-handedly start killing the firstborn. He gave people the chance to believe, to respond, right? And the people that did paint that, that blood over there, guess what? They were saved. They were delivered. They believed. But what happened to the houses where they said, yeah, we hear you, but we're not interested? What happened? They lost their firstborn. God did what he said he would do. It wasn't a surprise. I don't think they were in their homes mourning over their firstborn and going, oh, I had no idea this was going to happen. It, it was a dawning. Right? And that's the seriousness of, of God and his love, his mercy, his grace, but also his justice and his wrath. She says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes, so this would be your government, your world rulers of that time, okay, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. I'm just going to circle him here. Because that him, him is not just Jesus, is it? Right? As we read our scriptures and, and we start deepening in our understanding, I mean, they're seeking to kill who? The king. The son of God, I mean, the, 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 the son of man. I mean, you read through the scriptures, the gospels, the Luke, Luke even, and he's told them that this is who he is. He's used these titles. And, this, and then the government, the Sanhedrin, just like, no, we're not interested. Right, this isn't for me. And they're seeking to kill him, the king, for they feared the people. They, they feared losing their power here. So just in the notes, I asked the question, why did the the government want to kill God's king, Jesus Christ? The first thought that came to mind was because he, the king, came to a people who said they believed. They said they believed. I mean, they they, they sang the songs in the temple. They brought their sheep or their goat or their dove. I mean, they, they did the things. They said they believed, but they did not know God. They, 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 they were they were practicing something that was not of god nor did they obey god and that was jesus's biggest problem i mean he had to, to break through this religion to say this is who i am this is what god is offering to you repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is you need to make a decision but they were ignorant willfully ignorant not of the scriptures I mean, a lot of these men, especially the Sanhedrin, by the time they were, I think it was 10, they had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. They had the scriptures, but they were choosing their own way, choosing their own concepts, choosing their own program. So they were willfully ignorant. They were confused, and that's what Satan does. Right? When we're like, yeah, yeah, I know what this is, but 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 these, this is how I'm gonna explain, or this is what I think there. Satan, Satan is a master of confusion. Right? And he had created this perfect storm of, uh, of just mental and, and emotional and spiritual twisting, Heart and hearts, and these people, I mean, they couldn't even hear the message of Christ. in Heart hearts and content in sin. He came to a people who said they believed, but they did not know God, nor did they obey. And Jesus tells them as much. So just thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and some of the, 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 the tears and the anguish, I mean, our, our king was going through so much. And I asked the question, what events were taking place leading up to this? Right, like, that they hated him so much. Where, where did this animosity come from? And for that there, we just have to to study through this just just a little bit. So let's turn back to Luke chapter 19. Just looking at the hate, the hatred and the rejection of God's King, the Son of God, Son of Man. If we were just to step into Luke chapter 19, and I think I have us coming down to verse... Let's step into verse 32. All right, and this is where Jesus sends the, some of the disciples ahead to prepare the room, right? To, to find, find a donkey, okay? They're getting ready for the triumphal entry. Ah, uh, you know what? Let's just go to verse 29. <laughs> well, Let us read it. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpesh and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord, okay, curios, deity, Lord and Master, right? This is the significant. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he, who's the he? Jesus, the king. Right, son of God, God's king, okay? He's preparing for his entry, okay? It's like his last, one of his last decorations to Jerusalem, Israel, okay? Last chance. But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jerusalem and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. All right, this is, they're, they're, they're presenting the king. All right, you think these things would have been done with care, okay? He's going to come into Jerusalem. It's the Passover feast. He's, they're all thinking that he's going to announce himself. This is it. He's going to take his earthly throne. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Jesus had been healing and authenticating himself, saying, blessed is the king. And again, for me, where has this been missing all my life? It was there, but that connection. Blessed is the king. Whose king? God's king. Son of God, Davidic covenant, son of man, David looking to the the coming Messiah king in that messianic hope that he is going to defeat the nations. He is going to, after his judgment and and wrath, put this thousand-year kingdom into place there that leads in the eternal state. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Jehovah. This is God Himself in the flesh. God's King. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to Him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But He answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. There's nothing that can stop this moment of declaring Israel's Messiah Anointed chosen king. Now, as he drew near, okay, king, the the pomp, the excitement, but Jesus knows, the king knows. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, you would be Jerusalem, especially in this your day the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Three years Jesus had healed their sick, right? Cast out demons, provided food for them, loved on them. I mean, he did everything that that a gracious, perfect, merciful, loving king could do. Yet they rejected him. Not just reject, I mean, they chose not to know him. They chose not to read their scriptures and go, yes, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one that's been promised. This is the one that Daniel, Daniel saw. They chose not to. And now judgment was before them. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you Surround you and close in on every side and level you, Jerusalem. Level your walls and your children within you, and children will be killed as well, to the ground, and they will not leave you in one stone or upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. We recognize through our studies and our small group studies that this, in immediate context, is speaking to what? 8070. Right? The warning where Titus comes in and 600,000 to a million Jews starved or crucified. Right? Because they did not heed the warning that Christ had given them. Because they had rejected the king. Prophetically, we understand that this is taking us to the just before the second coming of Christ that we read in Zechariah 14, where the nations are battling against. Jerusalem again, God's city, right? And we understand that it's going to be level. It's going to be done. So prophetically, it's looking forward. But Christ will come, the king will come and deal with that. Verse 45 says, Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. Okay, so we're, we're back to, this is a different scene change, but we have the king enter and he's weeping. Weeping over the rejection. I mean, it... Just even thinking about about the rapture that we anticipate. And we read last week in Revelation chapter 5 about Jesus opening the seals. Those first judgments and that there. He doesn't want to do that. And I was thinking there as he's weeping over Jerusalem, and I know that the Bible doesn't say he's weeping, but there's, there's as he's opening this judgment in the great tribulation for all those who rejected his gospel. There's going to be a time there of of, of a grieving, grieving king. He did everything that he could. So we have the triumphal entry, and now we have the temple cleansing. And this will be a, a good place to wind up and then down. Then he went into the temple. Who's in the temple? Jews worshiping, doing their singing, you know, the religious. I mean, Jesus is already more or less condemned and judged, right, for the the practices that they're part of here, which is apart from God. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In order to grasp the fullness of that picture, Jesus is standing in his, his own house. I mean, the temples, the temples is the Father's house. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God's king. He's staying in his own house, and he's saying there that that you have made this place a den of thieves. Do you think he quietly said that so he didn't offend anybody? You know, you don't want to drive the children or the next generation away. They'll never come back. (laughs) I say that very silly. But I think Jesus was, he's quoting scripture to these Jews. Right, he's speaking in a very straightforward fashion. And one thing that I taught my Acts class there was, whenever you see an Old Testament quote, don't ever not turn. Right, don't ever not turn. Go back. See, see what Jesus is proclaiming here. He, he's, he's in the temple court and he's saying to them, this isn't right. And we know he's flipping tables. Right? He's chasing out the money changers. So let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. And the big, big picture here is the seriousness of Jesus. I mean, his time before the cross is coming to a close. And I mean, I, I'm not sure whether it's because I grew up with Jesus with children sitting on his lap. And the crook, you know, and the sheep in the background and all the different things. And he is all those things. Grace and mercy, right? And love and compassion, but there's also what? Justice, judgment, wrath for all those that reject him. So as Jesus is, is, is preaching, he's flipping tables, he's, he, he's, and this is all in righteous indignation. I mean, God is leading him to do this. He never spoke a word that God did not give him to speak. He never did nothing that God did not lead him in. Jeremiah 7. And as he's doing this, the people in the temple... Just all these neat. I mean, I don't think Jesus just threw a verse out there randomly. I mean, we understand that the chapter and verses, the numbers, they didn't come to like the 1300s AD. Right? They didn't have to publish there. So whenever there was a verse quoted, it was a section of Scripture, it was a narrative, it was a scene coming on. And as Jesus is standing in the temple, these, are, these guys, the, the ones that knew their Scriptures, are going, Whoa, this sounds familiar! Sounds like Jeremiah. Same thing, the, on the verge of judgment, Babylon is about to come and, and, and lead, lead families, lead the men away, lead, lead Daniel away, and then decimate the city, all because they reject. So read with me and beginning in verse 1. It says, that The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house. The Lord's house is? The temple. Right? Same picture. As Jesus is, is quoting directly from this passage, from this part of their scrolls, they're going, This Jeremiah did the same thing prophetically. He stood in the house of the Lord. He so said, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter into the gates to worship the Lord. Thousands of people coming in to do What? Worship the Lord. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Is it always a good thing? He said, be careful with that. Let's keep reading. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Amend means something is grievously wrong. They are doing something against the Lord. What are they going to the house of the Lord to do? Worship. Something in their lives, they're, they're doing something, and God is saying, No. Amend your ways and, and heal. And again, the verge of, of judgment that's coming with Nebuchadnezzar. Amend your ways, and I'll cause you to dwell in this place. They were living in disobedience. They needed to repent and turn. Thus says, okay, verse 4 do not trust in these lying words saying and if you got a highlighter this would be a good good one to highlight do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord are these what are they in the house of the lord for to worship Right? And God's saying there, no, 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 you need to mend your ways. Do not trust these lying words. People are going on around going, oh, well, no, we have the temple. We have the house of God. We have the temple. We have the temple. The temple is, is, is we're doing okay as long as we're going to the temple. They had religion. Right? Don't trust these lying words just because we're, we're going, going to the chapel, going to get married. That song for some reason just come out. Don't, don't trust these words just because you're going to church. Just because you're going to sit in a pew doesn't mean that things are okay. It's because they were going to the temple to worship. God is not pleased. Keep reading. Verse 5. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless and the widow... And do not shed innocent pl- blood in this place, or walk after gods to your own hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. What's going on here? Children of Israel coming up to worship in the temple. They leave the temple, and who are they living like? The world. Right? I mean, there's no there. I mean, they're coming up, they're there, they're paying their tithes, they're paying their sacrifices, and God's going, uh uh I'm going to remove you from this land. I am going to judge you as a nation because you are living like them, fill in the blank. Pagans, godlessness, society. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. The empty emptiness you know i think i think of even i I wrote here in my bible empty preaching empty teaching you know you need to come to church 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 is there as long as you're here everything is good you can you know just just come to church on sundays that's not what it's about right we're back to believing that jesus is the christ the son of god and that abiding fellowship of submitting and bending your knee your life will follow christ that's the only that's a non-negotiable Don't trust that just because the doors are open to the church, we're doing okay. It doesn't work like that, because God is going to destroy his own temple. That's a lot worse than just closing the doors to churches. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Verse 9, and I might be a little harsh here, but I'm just going to read it and make a comment. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery? We know what that means, right? Swear falsely, you know, backstabbing and twisting for your own benefit, bearing false witness. Burn incense to Baal, worshiping objects and different things. And walk after other gods whom you do not know. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations." Are you going to come in with these liberal ideas, participating in all these things, and then sit in the pew on Sunday and go, it's not a big deal? Now, the harsh thing, and and, and it's with all love and grace, I mean, those that are here this morning, we're not out stealing and murdering and committing adultery and lying and backstabbing and and manipulating finances. We're not doing that. But in many cases, with grace and mercy, because I many cases some of our loved ones are some of our children are and then they they may come in and maybe they did come in for a time and sat in the pews and everything's good everything's good everything's good but you know what things weren't or that disobedience God's saying amend your ways or what he deals with it and we're back to James God resists the proud right God battles against it Now, we we have our place in that and we don't have time to get into it, but I just want to read it. Jesus is saying this to His own people in His own house. Things are not okay. Verse 11. Has this house, which is called by My name, become a... What's it say? Den of thieves in your eyes. Behold, I... Even I have seen it, says the Lord. Where did we just read that from? Luke 19. Right? When Jesus is cleansing the temple, he's, he's flipping tables. He's saying, This is not okay. Right? And even that, just that phrase, I have seen I've seen with my own eyes. I mean, I don't think it's, it's, it's enough to just say God sees all things and knows all things. Right? God's going to deal with it. He's seen it, right? God's not going to let it go. He's going to deal with that. And there's a seriousness that goes hand in hand, and that word is accountability. My dreams are to read the rest of Jeremiah 7 with you, but I'm going to have to leave it as a challenge. Read through that and see what, what Jesus is. He's, he's in the temple. He's giving... He's giving them, he's leading them This scroll, right? And they understand Jeremiah did the same thing. Jesus, the new prophet from Deuteronomy 18, the king, the son of God, son of man, he's doing this before, and things are not okay. So some take-home thoughts. As Jesus cleanses the temple, right? And this is the, the beginning of that, getting back to John. As Jesus cleanses the temple... Does the king cleanse his church? Right? Does he, does he purify? Does he, does he work through his church? Does he purge it? I mean, Revelation, read, read two, 2 and 3 about how he interacts with his church. Right? There's a seriousness to that. He cleanses his church. What has this looked like? Right? When you think of all the different things, and I mean, if you want to go back... Two years, five years, ten years. Right? Sin's not okay. Living like the world and coming in on Sunday and and dressing up so that everything's okay. That's not okay. What has this looked like? Will the king judge his subjects in the future? And as we establish there that Jesus is the king, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he's ruling through his spirit, through his church, those who are submitted and are living in obedience. Right? Is there a judgment for that? And we know that there is. What does this look like? So we'll close and I promise we'll just read 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I just just want to present to you your King that each will stand before. Whether you're seated here this morning, whether we've been missing, whether it's been years, whether it's been decades. I, mean, I still talk to people that used to attend here going, oh, I'll be back again someday, Pastor. I says, okay. All right. Same place. Time's a little bit different. <laughs> but I mean, it's not my place to drag you down here. And if you come down, I will present to you the king. I will present the accountability. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and I just want, want one our, our, our understanding of Christ to rise up. We read this at funerals all the time. It says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Right? We have a place in God's presence as believers in Christ. Whether we die or whether the rapture happens, right? But it's always anticipating that earthly kingdom of God, presence of God, kingdom of God, it's all packaged. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven, and our glorified bodies, a glorified removal of sin nature. If, indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, this body being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life, right? And that picture of, of knowing God and His Son, Jesus Christ, John 17, 3, that, that leaving this life and, and stepping into His presence for, for eternity, right? It's going to be such an amazing thing, right? It's further life. It, it's further knowing. Now, He who has prepared us for this very thing, is God, the born-again believer. Right? Is, Is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Right? That down payment. This is your eternal security. I mean, I can't even separate myself from the love of God and that promise of spending eternity with Him. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, and not by sight. Right? We trust his promises. We trust his, his word. We trust who he presents himself as. Verse 8 says, we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We anticipate that time. Right? We anticipate those promises. Verse 9 says, and this is the, the accountability. This is the the understanding Christ as our King. This is understanding that in John chapter 5, Christ says that He is the judge. He says, therefore we, as born-again believers, make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. That's obedience. That's abiding. That's seeking Him. That's learning and growing from His Word and prayer and fellowship and service. Why? Well, number one, because we love him, we understand what he did for us. But here's what Paul's presenting to to this church, who really wrestled with difficulties, right? They truly did. He says, "For we, born again believers, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." Do you see your king? You see the anointed of Psalm two. Do you see the the, the Revelation five, Lamb of God, who's who's going to open those seals? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one individual, each one may receive the things. Now I highlighted that in the bulletin, you may notice. Because I can't find that word in the Greek right in our my new king james the italicized words are added in for clarification now there's much discussion that can have be had by that but to remove that added word for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive the things in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad who are we standing before the king Right, there's a serious note to this. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And that's the accountability. Right now, love, grace, mercy. I mean, I can't wait to stand in His presence, even though I am, I am a, a, a sinning human that, that I don't think I'm going to get anything right at times. And that's going to be a glorious thing, but I live with that accountability. That I'll stand before my king. Right? And I will, I will answer for, not that I'm paying for sin, sin's already paid for, but I will answer for my decision for the 10 years away from the Lord. I know I will. I know I will answer for the things that I blatantly, I know God, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know I will. And that's part of that, 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 that fear and trembling and accountability. And we have ourselves, even if we are good, guess what? We have loved ones that are in a place where, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God. And I also trust that you are all known in your consciousness. So just last statement there. Thinking of, of Jesus' words to Peter, who do you say that I am? All right? I thought they're just a the challenge to take home. Concerning Christ, this is not about you or what you think. This is about who He presents Himself as. And I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You would just develop in us just an urgency to run to Your Scriptures. Lord, and we understand that, that Your Word leads us through life and and it, and it brings us from dark places and it blesses us in, 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 in trying times. But Lord, we need to read it so much more than it just being about us. Lord, this needs to be about you. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would open our eyes and, and our hearts to, to just see the need of, of recognizing you from the beginning in Genesis. And seeing all aspects of your character. That you are patient and loving and grace and merciful, Lord. And long-suffering. But Lord, there's a, there's a line that you do not cross. And that's your justice and wrath and judgment. And you do deal with sin. You can't let it pass. And Lord, those are things that we do not include in our idea of you. We do not discuss with our children. We do not discuss with people who are not walking with you, Lord. And I pray that we would dig deeper. And that we would look at our own hearts first. We would look at the things that we stand on first. And then, Lord, we would seek to be used of you in the following. So I just pray that you would just bring that spirit over us, a desire to dig deeper, and that we would just see the fruits of that. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.